0: you would turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, that's found on page 669 in your pew Bibles. As you're turning there, just an explanation of where we're at in Proverbs. There was a little while ago we went through Proverbs chapter 3, or a portion of Proverbs. It was at that time that I decided it would be beneficial to, at times, go through portions of Proverbs. I think that would be a good thing to do sometimes in the evenings, and that is what I intend to do. We've finished the Belgic, so I wanted to go through some of Proverbs before we start the Heidelberg Catechism, and I hope to, at times, be able to bring in a portion of Proverbs and discuss it. If we're going to do that, then it would be fitting that that we look at chapter 1 of Proverbs. We also have been talking a lot about wisdom in the book of James. So this fits very well with what we're going through in that book, in wisdom itself, in the, in the best example of wisdom literature, Proverbs, in the Old Testament. Before we read Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7, let's ask God's blessing. Father in heaven, as we turn to your word, specifically a word that describes wisdom, we pray that you would be with our minds, that we would grasp the knowledge here, the understanding of what your word says, that we would be the wise, we would be those who seek righteousness, that we would be those who seek purity, but as we will discuss, that we would be those who seek the fear of the Lord we would understand what true wisdom is and that you would gain and give us that gaining of knowledge and understanding we pray this in Christ's name amen proverbs chapter 1 verses 1 to 7 the proverbs of solomon son of david king of israel to know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight I'm going to reread verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. As a child, I remember hearing a story. It was actually turned out to be a joke, which I'm not going to repeat the joke. It's not the intent here, but the the punchline of the joke, the humor of the joke, is that there were these five men on a crashing airplane, and there were four parachutes, And at the end of this joke, the turn of it is the smartest man in the world, the supposedly smartest man in the world, had grabbed a backpack and had jumped out of the plane, which left the two remaining in the plane the luxury of grabbing the parachutes and jumping out of the plane. Now, the only reason I bring this up, this fictitious story is that if we approach Proverbs without understanding these verses, particularly verses 1 through 7, if we don't understand these, it is like jumping out of a plane without a parachute. It's like jumping with a backpack. You see, verses 1 through 7 of Proverbs, chapter 1, is the parachute that we need to help us land on wisdom instead of folly. And that's the contrasting in Proverbs. You have wisdom and you have folly, and where will you end up? This portion of Scripture is vital in understanding wisdom. It's vital in understanding instruction and what God has to say. You see, if we don't approach it having this as our background, with this as our understanding, we would approach the book of Proverbs as if it's just a how-to manual. In fact, that might be how we do approach it. We think, how are we supposed to live? Let's turn to Proverbs. Let's gain some wisdom. Now, that's certainly a, a, a proper use. You can certainly gain wisdom, and should gain wisdom, through Proverbs. But there's that dangerous and perhaps subtle mistake we'd make, which is as life-threatening as jumping out of a plane without a parachute, and that is to miss verse 7 specifically of our text. To approach it as if we can just gain knowledge and understanding by doing these things. Proverbs is far more fulsome than that alone. Proverbs has a greater message than just, here's wisdom and do it. And that's so often how we take it. Rather, it goes much deeper than that. The fear of the Lord is the key. It's the parachute. It's the the key to the entire book that unlocks wisdom itself. We can liken Proverbs to a catechism. We're familiar with that language of a catechism. A catechism is a manual for religious instruction training in the way of the faith, the fundamentals, the principles, the pillars of the faith. Well, Proverbs is indeed a catechism of the way of righteousness, of the way of wisdom. Well, just as our catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism, begins with Lord's Day 1, which sets the stage to all that follows, here these first seven verses set the stage to all that follow in the book of Proverbs. And if we are to read the book and divorce it from this, we would miss this fundamental point, that it starts with the fear of the Lord. We're going to look at this in three points today. The first, Proverbs purpose. We're going to spend a lot of time there on the purpose of Proverbs. Second, Proverbs audience. And third, Proverbs gospel. First, Proverbs purpose. And there's three purposes primarily that I want to look at here today in Proverbs chapter 1. The first... Purpose of Proverbs is Christological. The first purpose of Proverbs is Christological. And if you're sitting there and, 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 well, I guess I should say paying attention, as we hope we all are, but if you're sitting there paying attention, you would think, why that? The first purpose of Proverbs is Christological? The answer is yes, indeed. Christ is at the center. There is a background, and it's Christ. We read the Old Testament in light of the New. We read read it with that fuller revelation from the New Testament. Look back, and we can say, "Well, what's the point of Proverbs here?" There is that Christ, Christological backdrop. Verse one of our text says, "The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel." Now, Solomon is the author of much of the Book of Proverbs. Not all of it. There are others who contribute. And Solomon was likely the one to compile even wise sayings of the nations around him. This is a book of wisdom, and Solomon is its primary author. But he's put in the Old Testament as that sort of archetypical person. That saw, He's the wise man. He's the archetype. He's the wise embodiment. No one is like him. He outmaneuvers all in his thinking. No one can can thwart his wisdom or understanding. And so the nations come to Solomon to hear his wisdom and understanding. That's what happens in the Old Testament. But in Luke chapter 11, verse 31, we read, "...the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here." I want to approach Proverbs from that vantage point, looking upon it with that greater clarity provided by the further revelation. For a Christian to approach Proverbs is to truly see the embodiment of wisdom, the one whom Solomon merely pointed to, and that's Christ himself. Christ is the incarnation of wisdom. He is the wise man. He is not only the wise son of Proverbs, which we'll get to later in chapter 1. Son, hear my instruction. That sort of characterizes Proverbs itself, teaching to a son. Well, Christ is the wise son who has taken it and put it into practice. He is that one who's grown in his understanding and wisdom. The Gospels talk about how Christ grew in wisdom, in knowledge, in stature. How he confounded the religious leaders of his day with his wisdom. We read in the Gospels of those who would come to him, even the lawyers, those who knew the law, they would come to him and seek to trip him up, seek to make him fail, and he wouldn't. He outfought them all. He outmaneuvered them all. He was Solomon par excellence. He was the greater son of David, the greater embodiment of wisdom. So when we look back now to Proverbs, we see this is not just the words of Solomon, nor is this a description of Solomon's great wisdom. It's Christological, it's Christ. You can think of it this way you, you have yearbooks. In yearbooks, people will write something about the, the student. A little phrase. Well, if we were to write something next to that, that, that in Christ's yearbook, in that illustration, it would, we would say, Christ, the display of wisdom. You truly are the obedient and wise son of Proverbs, as well as the true teacher of that wisdom. What do I mean by, by this, this yearbook excerpt? It's just that Christ is the wise one. Proverbs is, in that way, a description of his knowledge, a description of his instruction. He embodies it. And we'll miss the purpose of Proverbs if we come to it simply to say, let's learn from this Old Testament teacher. No, we are not only seeing Christ displayed in Proverbs and how he is the embodiment of wisdom, but we receive his instruction. So the first purpose of Proverbs is that it is Christological, as the Bible is. That's not something new or strange to us. The whole purpose of the Bible is to reveal Christ. And we can miss it. At times in wisdom literature, it's dealing so much with application and how we are to live that we think, well, where is Christ in this? That's how Christ is is in it. He is the one who teaches it. He's the one who does it. He is the great wise one. The second purpose of Proverbs is catechetical, as I already alluded to. It's religious training, and you see this in our text. Look at verse 2. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, and verse 2 says it's to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. This is the revelation of God. This is God's direct book to go to, to train us in understanding and wisdom. Here is the catechism of the book. And remember what wisdom is. It contains knowledge, but it is far more than that. It's mastery of knowledge. It's mastery of the craft. That's what Proverbs is, and and that's what I want us to to be excited about when we look at wisdom literature in general, when we look at Proverbs here. Let's be excited about what this is. It's taking the revelation of God and saying, master it. It's taking the law of God and saying, know it in and out. You see, it's like a skilled craftsman. Every tool he has in his, his toolbox, his tool belt, whatever he carries them in, he has a purpose for them all. It's like a mason who knows every chisel to take, and every strike of the hammer is well placed, and the tool is well chosen, and every strike is accomplished and does what he wants it to do. That's the embodiment of the man of Proverbs, but it's with God's revelation. It's that we would all be those to have been instructed and trained in the knowledge of God, that we would know what tool to grab, that we would know how to apply God's law in each and every situation, that we would know what to say when we should, that we would know when we are to speak and when we are not, when we are to give and when we are to take, when we are to to be there for our enemies and pray for them, when we are to thwart them, all these things. How do we know what to do? It is here in this book the wise understanding and training, the skill and mastery of our field. The purpose of Proverbs is to preach faith in the Lord, and through that faith to walk in the skillful application of love of God and man. I'm taking things from outside of this text to form that theme statement. Not all that is present here in our seven verses, but I'm going to say it again. The purpose of Proverbs is to preach faith in the Lord, and through that faith to walk in the skillful application of love of God and man. That's what Proverbs is doing. It's mastery, it's skill, it's wisdom. We're the apprentices in Christ's workshop. We're those to be trained by him and learned by the wise man. So we've seen that the first purpose of Proverbs is Christological. The second perfect purpose is catechetical. The third purpose of Proverbs is wisdom and righteousness, or we could say application of the law. Verse 3 says, the purpose of Proverbs is to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. In God's design, wisdom is never divorced from righteousness. This is very important. You might think that these terms are unrelated, They, they are in different realms, different spheres. We apply wisdom to the intellect, to knowledge, to IQ, to understanding. We keep it in that realm. And then we take righteousness and we say, well, that's morality, that's obedience, that's ethics. And so we have an intelligence and an understanding and we have an obedience or an ethics. But Proverbs does not take these two and keep them separate. In Proverbs, the union of these two is wisdom. It's not just knowledge. It's not just understanding. It's not just IQ. It's also righteousness. You see that in this verse. To receive instruction in wise dealing. What is wise dealing? Righteousness, justice, and equity. Proverbs is related to the law of God. It applies the law of God, but it differs from it. It's application of the commands of God to daily life. And it's to situations that are not simply one size fits all. Let me give an example of that. You have in Proverbs the command to answer a fool according to his folly. And then right next to it is another command, do not answer a fool according to his folly. Well, what's going on there? Didn't it just contradict it? The wisdom of God is to say no. It's to know when to answer a fool and when to not. It takes the understanding of how we use the tongue, how we do not speak against our neighbor in falsehood, and it applies it in much deeper ways, but in ways that the law never did. The law gives us principles. Thou shalt not, or thou shalt And in Proverbs, it takes those principles to daily concrete life. Proverbs shows us that the formal law of God in these principles isn't enough in simple do's and don'ts. We need the further revelation of wisdom literature to expand on that. If the law of God is our skeleton, it's the bones what holds us up, it's, it's the principles, well then, wisdom literature in Proverbs is like the flesh. It's fleshing out that skeleton. It hangs upon it. And it is supported by it, but it's a, further, it's a furtherance of it. It takes it further than just the structure. It takes a comprehensive rule to love our neighbor as ourself, to love God perfectly, and, as, and applies it to all these situations. I want to explain what I mean by that. So you have the principle, you have the command, do not murder. In Proverbs, this is applied as feed your enemy. Proverbs 25, 21 says, If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. See what Proverbs did there. It took the command, do not murder, and it applied it so much further to instead feed an enemy. Give him something to eat, give him something to drink. Take the command not to commit adultery. In Proverbs, that command is so applied and so furthered that it's not just that a husband would not cheat on his wife. Rather, it's that the husband stands up to declare her honor to those around him, to praise her for what she does and who she is. That's what Proverbs does with the command, do not commit adultery. It goes so much further than just not cheating. It's honor her and honor her in this way. The command not to bear false witness in the hands of the wise teacher of Proverbs is protect your neighbor's reputation. Cover his his failures. Don't put them on display for all to see. In this we see the point. It's, It's that skilled use of the principles. It's the skilled use of God to every situation. There's a fundamental relationship between law and Proverbs, but it's not an identity. It's proper application of God's law, changes, and needs skill to apply. The concept of wisdom in Proverbs is always geared towards what we do for one another. The wise righteousness that Proverbs talks about is how we are self sacrificial to those around us. That's really, and we'll we'll get to that over time as we go through Proverbs. That's the center of biblical wisdom, self-sacrificial love. Now, when I say that, you would probably see the the disconnect there between the way we normally equate wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge and understanding, but at the center of biblical wisdom is ethics, self-sacrificial love and service, and the answer is, of course, yes. Why? Why is that? To perform self-sacrificial love means you must understand God's Word. You must have a thorough understanding of His law. But you've, you've married righteousness with the knowledge. You've taken it and you apply it. That's truly the skillful, wise man or woman of Proverbs. To know that. And when you say it that way, you see the Christological focus yet again. You see how Christ is the center If the expression of wisdom in Proverbs is a righteousness that is self-sacrificial service and love, you see, well, that's describing Christ. He is the one to carry that out. He is the wise man. Proverbs' wisdom is shown in the skillful application of righteousness, which is to love God and man. So those are the purposes of Proverbs. Next, we look at the audience. We see this in verses 4 through 5. The audience to give prudence to the simple. So there's some of the audience. The simple. Knowledge and discretion to the youth. There's another portion of the audience. Let the wise. There's another portion. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands, that's part of the wise, obtain guidance. So who is the audience of Proverbs? Well, when you read it that way, it's everyone. It's from that vantage point, it's from the simple to the wise, it covers that spectrum. Now, it's written in the form of instruction from parents to their young son. To their young son, that he would heed their instruction. That's the way it's packaged to God's people, but it's for God's people. It's for all. Everyone who hears it should take advantage of it. It serves for wisdom itself. To those who already have understanding, it gives greater understanding. The simple here, the simple are those who just lack understanding. They are those who need to be filled up. They're not those who are fools. The fools are those who despise instruction. The simple are those who've simply not been catechized. They haven't had the wisdom put into them yet. They are those who could be led astray, those who have not been filled with the truth of God to need to have it blossom in their own life and walk. That is the simple. The youth is the one in the covenant community who is in his adolescence, we could say, who's about to to take that step into adulthood. And the parents are training him, and they're saying, Heed this instruction. Refrain from these failures. Pursue what is good and right. They're training their son, even as they train us all. The first nine chapters of Proverbs give us that understanding, that backdrop. The first nine chapters of Proverbs gives that training of parents to their children. And then in chapter 10 and following, you get many of the seemingly disconnected Proverbs, the one-verse Proverbs to follow. Well, this is the foundation. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 ascends to the levels of what this wisdom can accomplish to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. In studying Proverbs and wisdom literature, what this is saying is we have insight into the confusing, understanding for the difficult. The term Solomon uses there about proverbs, wise words, riddles, those are that's language that's difficult to understand, difficult to comprehend or apply. And what God's word is saying is those who are trained in this, they're able to understand these difficulties. They're able to take indirect language and apply it. And what this is really getting at is they are, again, skillful in their use of God's Word. Wise men and women are hard to come by. And they are worth their weight in gold. Have you ever experienced that? To go to someone who really is wise, to ask for advice? What always amazes me about these wise individuals is they don't know it. I've experienced it when you ask them this question. They sort of hem and haw. They'll say, "Yeah, that's that's a difficult one. I could see why that's that's a hard one." You know what my advice would be? And then what they say is pure gold. And it's not put on. It's not a false. It's not a false humility. They're wise but righteous. They're humble. They've used this in their own life, and they know how to package it to someone else. They take what's a very complicated situation, and they provide clarity, or at least as much clarity as could be given. That's Proverbs. But I should say it stronger than that. That's our Lord. You see, even as I just extol the worldly wisdom that we can have, the righteous among us who can gain that wisdom, they are still not what Christ is. They are still not to the level of the one who reveals the words of life himself. But what Proverbs does is it makes us, as imitators of him, able to, in a very imperfect way, do the same. To provide wise counsel and wise words and direction and guidance to those who need it. With the right word that's chosen. They have them in their, their tool belt have them in their toolbox, that word that needs to be said and how to say it. Winsomely reflecting upon it, applying God's word and applying applying it properly. This is what we strive to be. This is what we want to be because it's to be like Christ. The Gospels give such a clear explanation of what the wise of Proverbs is like. There are those examples in the Gospels where someone comes up and asks Jesus a question, and his response at first has us like, what is he saying? Where is he going with that? Think of John chapter 4, and the woman at the well. And, and her questions about the water and how he responds at first seems like, this has nothing to do with this. Where is he going? And then you see, oh, he knew her life, and he knew exactly what to say to her, and he said it. And he led her all the way to the point where she was converted, where she was a great witness to those around her. That's the wise man of Proverbs. That's who we seek to imitate. That's Proverbs' purpose. And now Proverbs' gospel. Proverbs' gospel. This is verse 7, and this this is huge. This is so key to the book. This is the key that unlocks it. We are not the incarnation of wisdom. We are not able to achieve it by ourselves. What begins this process? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. How much is said there that's not said? He didn't say, memorizing the Torah is the beginning of knowledge. As worthy a pursuit as that would be. He doesn't say, knowing every psalm, Is the beginning of knowledge, even if that would help in that pursuit. What is the beginning of knowledge? The fear of the Lord. Faith. You see, we're in that plane. And we can get all excited. Yeah, we want to be wise, let's go, let's jump out and find our wisdom. But if we don't land with this verse, we've just grabbed the backpack and not the parachute. Because we've jumped out thinking, yes, let's be wise. I'm going to pour knowledge into my head, and I'm going to live it. Where does knowledge, where does wisdom begin? The fear of the Lord. Faith, trust, belief in Him. What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is to be a covenant member, united to Him, who trusts in the Lord, who reverences His name, Who worships him because he fears and honors his will. Who seeks to obey him because he fears him. He is a God-fearer. That's all what's wrapped up in the fear of the Lord. And without that faith, you will never be wise. You can't. You've missed the one avenue that would lead to wisdom. The one way in which to achieve that righteousness. Without this, without faith, without approaching all that we do, as verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord, we look at Proverbs as museum masterpieces, as the artwork on the walls that we cannot touch and we cannot reach because there's glass in the way, because there's barriers in the way, without coming to it first through this and the fear of the Lord. Otherwise, we can admire it. Otherwise, we might try to imitate it, but we will never master it we will never be like Christ without fearing him that's what unlocks true wisdom that's how we will gain in wisdom and that's the first big step as we as you go through proverbs what you will see is we are not the incarnation of wisdom itself more often than not we are the fool more often than not we are the one who has who has failed and needs to heed the instruction You see how understanding this in Christ turns that all around because yes, though we are not the incarnation of wisdom itself, by fearing the Lord, now we are given access to divine wisdom. Now we're able to do what is right. Now we're able to apply the law. Now we're able to live in righteousness, that marriage of ethics and wisdom, of knowledge and and carrying it out, of the law of God and applying it. Verse 7 divests us of any other type of thinking. The beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. This means that we can't be wise. There is no wisdom unless it begins in the fear of the Lord. And that's the Old Testament way of saying faith. The fear of the Lord in the Old Testament is the same thing as faith in Christ in the New. That's not a change. It's just been expanded on in the New Testament. And we see that the fear of the Lord, which was present then to reverence Him, to believe in Him, is to believe in Christ. That's the the continuation of the fear of the Lord. Seeking wisdom in Proverbs isn't seeking instruction and the personal strength to marshal our mind and do these wise sayings until we first feared Him and strive to walk in obedience. True, True wisdom begins and is encompassed by the fear of the Lord. Only then does righteousness follow. Don't get me wrong, this is a catechism. This does train in wisdom. But the way to access it is through faith in him. That's how we become his apprentices. You can't learn from the master builder, from the skilled artisan, unless you're in the workshop with him. And the only way to do that is to fear him, to trust him. The right wise relationship with God, as presented in Proverbs, is established by Christ incarnate. We can't miss that. I hope we all desire to be those wise and godly men and women, and we can approach it with so much excitement. But where do you begin? It's What we talked about this morning, draw near to God. Again, say so that's the answer? I thought it was to fill my mind, to instruct. That comes. It's a necessary part. But the beginning, the first step is to draw near to God. Only then can we imperfectly but truly imitate Christ Himself. We want to be wise, but it is through Christ. The purpose of Proverbs is to preach faith in the Lord and through that faith to walk in the skillful application of love of God and man. This is how we begin the text. You'll see what happens after it. Look at verse 8, which we'll get to in the future. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. We get down right to it. We get down to the instruction, but look what he had said first. The fear of the Lord. Let us want to be Christ-like in that way. Don't pursue wisdom so that you can be praised by others. Don't pursue instruction so that you can be well thought of. Don't pursue it so that you can think well of yourself. Fear the Lord. And when you do that, you're a far, far step on that journey already. You're far on your way to becoming a humble, godly man or woman who trusts in the Lord and offers wise counsel that confounds the wisdom of the world. That can't be thwarted or outdone by faulty reasoning because we have the Holy Spirit in us, not because we're so intelligent, It's because we're so strong in the faith. It is the strength of faith that characterizes the wise man, the wise woman. In that, let's go to our God and ask for him to bless us with this wisdom. Father, as we turn to Proverbs as we see what is the purpose of wisdom, of Proverbs, of instruction. We see that it is the purpose of life itself to fear you. We see that there are steps to follow after fearing you, or I should say a part of fearing you is to learn your ways to walk in them. We pray that you would give to us a yearning desire to know your word and to apply it. And we take the example of scripture where you say if he lacks in wisdom ask and we ask for we do lack we are not the wise son of proverbs we are so often the fool of proverbs but we turn to you who really is that embodiment of wisdom the wise son as well as the wise instructor and we pray that we would be so characterized that we would be masters of our field We don't desire merely to limp along in our faith. We desire to be masters of what? Of drawing near to you. Masters of humility. Masters of love. Masters of knowing the gospel, living it and applying it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.